This week on Making Contact. It is a measure of your evolution, it is a measure of your humanity, it is a measure of your nobility that you have a heart, mind big enough to see and empathize with the outrage being inflicted on our world and all our relations. Dr. Joanna Macy is a longtime peace, justice, and ecology activist. A celebrated Buddhist teacher, Dr. Macy's wide-ranging work spans Eastern and Western thought. Her work is known to other activists around the world as the work that reconnects. On this edition, we hear Dr. Joanna Macy's speech from the 2009 Bioneers Conference held in San Rafael, California. I'm Tina Rubio, and this is Making Contact, a program connecting people, vital ideas, and important information. People call Joanna Macy a visionary, a wise elder known to have helped thousands of people around the world connect the dots between psychology, spirituality, and ecology. She spoke at the 2009 Bioneers Conference at a plenary called The Hidden Promise of Our Dark Age, Discovering Our Wisdom, Strength, and Beauty in the Mist of Crisis. Here's what she shared. I want to talk this morning about three stories that we're living in this time. The first that most people believe in, particularly those in economic and political power, is business as usual in the industrial growth society. The second story uh, that follows from that, the first kind of slides into it, which is the story that I know many of you particularly those who are activists and scientists carrying your hearts, the story of the great unraveling of living systems in this planet Earth. And there's another story, the third, and that is the story of the great turning, that shift from the industrial growth society to a life-sustaining society. And that is what you are all involved in. That is what Bioneers is dedicated to. So I would like to uh, look at these uh, three in turn. The uh, business as usual, uh, that is, uh, uh, we're very successful at that. We ceaselessly tell ourselves. Uh, We are to keep us in comfort, Convenience, security, no cost is spared. And uh, the power holders in this society are actually proud of that. Can you believe it? They're proud of the fact that no cost is spared to keep us comfortable, to keep the lights on. We're ready to explode the mountaintops. We're ready to peel off the boreal forests. We're ready to let miles the size of Texas of plastic sweep over the Pacific for our convenience, for our security. This society only asks in return for that. Very little of us, actually. It doesn't ask much. It asks us to consume. And it asks us to shut up, (laughs) Uh, to be silent, to consume, and to obey. 
but there are a lot of people in this hall and in this movement and in this pioneers who are already breaking the mold on that. <laughs> And the secret of the um, power behind this main story is, uh, and also of its downfall, because it is in the process of self-destruction. You know that as well. If you don't know it in your mind, your body knows it. The erosion of life. But at any rate, it's because this industrial growth society uh, is sets its goals and measures its success by how fast it grows. <laughs> grows in what? Wisdom? Fertility? <laughs> Health? One thing only. You know it. Corporate profits. Market share. Now, systems thinkers know, and uh, it's common sense as well, that you cannot maximize one variable in this open system without it going out of control. And this system is on runaway. It's out of control. That it's sliding into the second story, which is the great unraveling. I don't even know how to begin to talk about that. I mean, I can make lists of words. I can say words like sixth mass extinction. I can say words like economic meltdown. I can tell words of loss of biodiversity, uh, a billion people living in slums now. We, those are, it doesn't begin to encompass something that is really beyond our capacity to comprehend, and yet uh, it won't leave us alone. It resides in the a grief that we carry, each one of us, each one. I think that uh, I'll move on to the third story. I'll come back to how we handle this. But the third story, of course, is this transition from the industrial growth society to the life-sustaining society. We are alive at this time. You have managed, as have I, to get ourselves born into this epical transition. It's the third revolution of its magnitude and scope of our journey on this planet. It's as big as the Industrial Revolution, which took centuries to unfold. It's as big as the, the one that happened next 300 years ago in England, the Industrial Revolution, which changed everything all over again and changed our relations to each other and to the earth and turned the earth into what we see now. It's mainly a stock house and a sewer for drawing up its, the resources we need and dumping our waste. We aren't putting up with that. And so there is this revolution that is happening. But as you know, 
in spite of the cameras here, this real revolution is not televised. We're living it, though. And it's happening in our resistance to the desecration of life forms. It's happening in the farmer's markets, in the green building, in the new kind of schools, in the uh, technologies, safe, renewable. It is happening, and it's happening mainly also in our heart minds, in the voices that we are hearing, the indigenous voices that have come here and the indigenous voice inside each one of us from science and from spirituality and it is at the core a recognition that our earth is alive now the thing about the great turning my friends as you know is that it's not a done deal we don't know whether it will take hold soon enough it's underway but before the unraveling breaks us down beyond the point that living systems can continue. You can lose the story of a living system. It can come apart. When a culture is lost, it's lost. When a species is lost, it's gone. When a language is gone, it's gone. So we don't know whether this great turning which gives so much meaning to my life and to more and more of us as a whole planet can happen in time. And so that's what I want to talk about today. We live in this time of radical uncertainty. Well, for Americans aren't used to that, you know. <laughs> we were founded on not only unflagging optimism, but we like to ensure that... Um, we can count on certain things. We like to be uh, confident about where we put our efforts. We want to be sure it's going to work. Well, we're in a situation where that kind of sureness can't happen. And so what I want to talk about is the gifts of uncertainty. The promise of this dark age are the gifts that we can harvest from uncertainty itself. Five of them. I like to count things on fingers of one hand. <laughs> Here are the gifts that I've toted up, and I invite you to find some more. We'll be right back with more from Joanna Macy, where she'll share her five gifts of uncertainty. You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. If you'd like more information or for CD copies of this program, please call 800-529-5736. Because of listeners like you, this show is distributed for free to radio stations in the U.S., Canada, and South Africa. To find out how to support us, download shows, or get our podcasts, go to radioproject.org.
We now return to Dr. Joanna Macy, Gifts of Uncertainty. Dr. Macy is the author of several books, including her most recent, World as Lover, World as Self. Her wide-ranging work addresses psychological and spiritual issues in the nuclear age, striking a balance between Buddhist thought and contemporary science. Here's the rest of her speech given at the 2009 Bioneers Conference in San Rafael, California. What do we get from uncertainty? We get the present moment, for one thing. We get a fresh recognition of the power of intention. We get the befriending of our pain and the great mystery that it brings us. We get our solidarity with all our relations. And we get an immensity of time, our true age. So that, that's what I want to talk about now. When you drop the need to be hopeful or hopeless, when you recognize that these are just feelings, that they might have more to do with what you had for breakfast or what somebody said to you in the last phone call, you don't put so much weight on them. Uncertainty can free us from the need to be constantly taking our emotional temperature as to how optimistic or pessimistic we are in the moment. Do you tap David on the shoulders? He's going out to uh, fight Goliath or Frodo. Wait a minute. Are you hopeful? Get out of my way. I've got something to do. And in that, just that, that game of hopeful, hopeless is conjectural. It takes you out of the immediacy of the moment, which is where you're moving and where your strength is and your alertness. Only in the present moment can you see what you're seeing. Only in the present moment can you feel what you're feeling. Only in the present moment can you take that step. So that's the second gift of this uncertainty is that choice. Only in the present moment can we choose just what we're going to do. And it has been thrilling to me, both as a scholar of systems and of Buddhist teachings, to see that this capacity to choose is what is seen as the actual essence or nature of a self. We are, in our truest being, a verb, and the verb is what we're choosing to do.
I used to think that it was more important what the results were that I uh, achieved in whatever I was bent on doing and that my motivation I took for granted. Oh, well, it's always there, you know. I can count on myself to care for heaven's sakes. But then, then I realized that if I lose that motivation, lose that caring, I have nothing on which to intend. I'm at sea. And I can see why the Buddhist teachers put such great prize on bodhicitta, that motivation for the welfare of all. So I, we want to, uh, don't take that for granted, cherish it, blow on that little ember, make it into a flame. As Jesus said, and I, it comes right along with that bodhicitta, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loose has lost its savor, wherewith will it be salted? That's what intention is like. Intention, your motivation, that you give a damn. Don't take that for granted. Bless it, that itch, that needing to take part. Thirdly, talking about the gifts of uncertainty. The courage to feel what you feel in the present moment. As you become present to your world, then you feel what you're carrying. That Usually if you're being rushed and hurried out of your minds, you don't bother paying. You try to pave it over, block it down, shut it down, turn away, turn it off. But try as we might, it comes up again. The grief. The outrage, the raw fear. What in God's name are we doing to our world and to each other? And you now are not going to fall for the ploy of the Industrial Growth Society to pathologize that pain. Hear me? Don't let people, therapists or well-meaning friends, try to explain it away in terms of your personal biography or that time of month. It is a measure of your evolution. It is a measure of your humanity. It is a measure of your nobility that you have a heart, mind big enough to see and empathize with the Outrage being inflicted on our world and all our relations. I think I better stop ranting, you know. I just caught myself. So.
Let me give you a poem as well. This is the last sonnet to Orpheus by Rainer Maria Rilke. And it holds all the gifts of uncertainty. Quiet friend who has come so far. Feel how your breathing makes more space around you. Right here, right now. Let this darkness be a bell tower and you the bell. And as you ring, what batters you becomes your strength. Swaying back and forth into the change. What's it like, this intensity of pain? If the drink is bitter, turn yourself to wine. In this uncontainable darkness, be the mystery at the crossroads of your senses, the meaning discovered there. And if the world has ceased to hear you, say to the silent earth, I flow. And to the rushing water speak, I am. Oh, see, my brothers and sisters, that, as the poet saw, that is the meaning of your, the pain we feel for the suffering in our world. It means that we are inextricably, livingly connected it is our body being savaged. And we are not separate. There is nothing that will ever happen. No cowardice, no f folly, no failure will ever sever you from the living body of earth because that's what you are. And this earth is waking up now. So you rest in that knowing. And know also then that the pain that comes up is just a gateway into which you go into a communion with the living world that is fearless. And that the pain for our world and the love for it are but two sides of the same coin. Indeed, that is so. Now, I have to hurry up. Uh, there, there are two other gifts, right? One is solidarity. But we're feeling that we're talking about that. We're linking arms. And... Uh, this blessed unrest, as Paul Hawkins says, this largest social movement in history. Yes, and it's bringing in all of their life forms and we're linking arms. And we must open our eyes. This is what I love about systems theory is it helps us see, uh, but any good cook can see this when you make a stew or a soup, the synergies, the emergent properties that come. 
that is my substitute for hope. And it's a lot better because with every step you take, something new happens with every relationship, with every person you trust, with every person you come clean to and clear to, something happens. And now the last gift, well, it's that immensity of time. You see, we live in a time when our karma, that is the consequences of our actions, thanks to science and the industrial capitalism, extends into geological time, reaches of time, hundreds of thousands of generations. I learned this in my work around nuclear waste. The decisions we make right now in a multitude of activities will have direct effect on whether future generations, centuries and centuries, millennia from now, will be able to be born sound of mind and body. You better believe that. So the future ones are therefore in our actions right here now. Feathered ones and scaled ones. And so are the ancestors by the same token. I want you to feel them present along with the brothers and sisters of all species and forms of beauty and strength. And you can let them be yours. Yeah, you deserve that because they're on your side, you see. To be a human now in this darkness of uncertainty, they're all plugging for us. Please feel them the ancestors and the future beings. Let them laugh in your ear as well as slap you on the backside and pull you forward because we have great work to do. That's it for this edition of Making Contact. You were listening to Dr. Joanna Macy speaking at the 2009 Bioneers Conference in San Rafael, California. Special thanks to Reference Media Group for recording this audio. Making Contact is supported by listeners like you. You allow us to continue to offer our programming for free to radio stations across the U.S. and in Canada and South Africa. Thank you. For a CD copy of this program, call the National Radio Project at 800-529-5736. Or check out our website at radioproject.org to get our podcast, download past shows, or help make a difference by supporting our work. Lisa Rudman is our executive director, Pauline Bartoloni, producer and online editor, Andrew Stelzer, producer, Con Pham, associate director, Daphne Young, station relations. Elena Daigle, Rashida Harmon, and Joaquin Palomino, interns. Dan Turner, Ron Rucker, Jen Gordon, Alton Bird, Emily Allen, and Alfonso Hooker, volunteers. And I'm Tina Rubio. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.